Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. me once so if that tells you anything if that tells you anything she's quite capable of doing what she's about ready to do and I'm just praying that the Holy Ghost would just touch her words today amen and find us ladies in particular amen where you may be in your walk in life and it'll be of some help to you can we give a hand clap unto the Lord as Sister McGee comes today Let's just take a little bit longer. We want the presence of God in this room today. Oh, God, we welcome you this morning, God. Lord, we invite you in this place, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's all about you, God. It's all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord this morning. You can be seated for a moment. So thankful to be here this morning. I'm thankful for the honor to stand before this sacred desk. And I tell you that this responsibility I have this morning, I don't take it lightly. I don't take this lightly standing up here. It's an honor and a privilege to stand behind this desk. And I take that very seriously because I know when I step up here, I want to be the oracle of God. I want God to speak through me. It's all that matters. I don't want to be seen. I don't want it to be about me. It's all about him. It's all about him. This morning before I start, I just want to give honor to Bishop and Sister McGee, the ones who have pastored this church for many years before we did and established this way. I honor you today. I love you. You guys are so important to me in my life. Wouldn't trade you for anything. I got the best father-in-law and mother-in-law in the world. And for those of you that can complain about your mother-in-law, let me tell you, I don't have to complain about mine because I got one that's a second mom to me, and I love her dearly. I honor the administrative pastor, brother and sister Mason of our church. I thank them for all they are and what they mean to my life and what they mean to this church. I know there's been many of occasions that their path was unknown and where God was gonna take them. And we always said, although God has placed pastor and I at the head of this church, we always felt they were the heart. And a body can't survive without its head and a body can't survive without its heart either. It takes both. And I'm thankful that we're teamed up with them in this church. And last but not least, I give honor to my husband. I honor him. He is an awesome man of God. He's my favorite preacher in the whole world. And I'm his number one fan. And I don't care how many people say they love his preaching. Nobody loves it more than me. I guarantee you. And I'm thankful for him. And I'm thankful for my mother today, um, who has been battling quite a severe case of shingles for the past couple weeks. And uh, she already got a hold of me and said, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say on podcast. So I know you're going to listen to this, Mom. So I love you very much. I'm going to turn to the book of Psalms this morning and read Psalms 139.13 this morning. I'm going to read a couple scriptures in your hearing today, and if you would stand for the reading of the word, no honor to me, but all honor to God and to his word. It says, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Romans 3.23 says, I'm going to turn to Romans 3.23. If you don't have time to turn, it will be on the screen for you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
These are two very different scriptures. Hopefully by the time I'm through today, you'll understand the connection. I want to minister today on nature versus nurture. Nature versus nurture. And while I take a moment to grab my phone so I know how long that I'm standing up here, I'm going to ask my husband to pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We're thankful, God, for your word. We pray, oh God, that that word would, Lord, go forth, Lord Jesus, in this place this morning. And it would help us, God, through a very practical means. And Lord, even on the level, Lord, of a spiritual means, that would help us. God, we know there's different, Lord, people, circumstances, situations that have come through these double doors today. We pray, God, that your word would be exactly what they need. Lord, and they'll be able to leave, God, with a sense of direction, a sense of hope. Lord, I pray, God, for their lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everyone said amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. So I'm going to take a moment. And I'm going to, you're going to probably feel like for a moment, such as intelligence, likes and dislikes, or personality and such. Now, on the flip side of the debate is nurture, where they say we're just strictly a product of our environment. That refers to our environment as a child, the home life we grew up in, our personal experiences, our relationships. And scholars have been on this quest constantly to see how much of our environment and our experience affects who we become as a person. Are we born this way? Are we a product of our surroundings? And I think that most in this room today would agree, and the consensus is that you can't contribute 100% of our characteristics to strictly nature or strictly nurture alone. But the issue that comes into play then is, well, how much influence does nature or nurture have in these different areas? Now, studies have concluded there are certain things that are just absolutely nature, as I already mentioned, blood type and eye color, things like that. But the same study showed that hereditary in nature have very little influence on things such as what language you learn or what religion you adhere to, which we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Scientists have found that the strongest predictor of mental illness, now mental illness can be genetic, okay, but a stronger predictor of mental illness is life events and experiences such as childhood bullying, abuse, other trauma. All we have to do is look at the teenagers that have been suicidal and depressed who went in and shot up a school, and then later you find out they were a victim of bullying to understand how their environment affected them and what their actions were. Recently, I had the opportunity to work with several children um, who have various behavioral issues, things ranging from ADHD to aggression um, to various things. And I was given a piece of information I found kind of troubling and, and the lady that I was working with she goes out of the seven children in here four of them have parents that in the la past year alone have been arrested for drug use these children were absolutely affected by the environment that they were growing up in and how they were developing now recently now here's where you may say okay I got to dig in just a little bit because this is a little bit more um, school but research new research has kind of turned this whole nature versus nurture thing kind of on its head for years, scientists believed that it only mattered what genes, not genes, but G-E-N-E-S, what genes, DNA, you had and what genes you didn't have. And that determined your nature and your makeup. If you had them, you'd be one way. If you didn't have them, it would be another way. But there's a study, there's a new study of research. It's called epigenetics, epigenetics. And it's basically just this, this science of studying how the environment we're in actually influences our, our genes and our genetic expression. And they've been able to prove that factors like stress, 
nutrition and exposure to toxins play a role in how the genes are expressed. Basically, if those genes are turned off or turned on. So it shows that the genes aren't static. In other words, they can have different behaviors based on what environment they're in. Now listen to this. I found this kind of interesting. And as you guys know, most of you in the background, I have a history of chemistry. So I found this really interesting. But they did, they did a study. They took a bunch of lab rats. They put them in a laboratory. And they watched how these rat mothers interacted with their babies. And they found that there were some rat mothers that were a lot more affectionate with their babies. They, they groomed them more. They licked them more. And then they found there were other rat mothers. They didn't do as much grooming. They didn't do as much licking and, and show as much affection. And they noticed that as these babies grew into adults, the ones that were groomed, when they were exposed to mild stress, they didn't stress out as much. But the ones that were in the environment of the mothers, they didn't have as much affection, as much grooming. They stressed out a lot more. So we're like, hmm, this is interesting. So they thought, well, is this because of their experience or their environment? So they decided to switch the rats, babies. And they put the ones born to the affectionate mothers with the less and vice versa. And they observed them. Well, what they found was the experience the baby rats had with their maternal figure made all the difference. It didn't matter which one the rat babies were born to, it mattered which mother raised them. And those raised by the less affectionate mother grew up to be more stressed. So then the question was, how can these early experiences in these rat babies then affect them so much later in the long term in adulthood? Well, they traced the effect back to epigenetics. And they discovered that there were certain brain cells in these baby rats, certain genes that were turned on when those babies were licked or groomed. When the mother showed them affection, there were certain genes that turned on in their brain. And when those genes were turned on, it led the cells there to build proteins in their body. Those proteins were made to help that baby rat have moderate stress responses when stress was introduced into their life. That was pretty awesome. Proving how experiences as a young rat had an effect on how they interacted with stress in adulthood. Now that was pretty awesome. Now obviously, for ethical reasons, the same test couldn't be performed specifically on humans in a laboratory, obviously. But we already know that plenty of other evidence already exists to conclude the same thing can happen in humans. For example, just think about what happens when you exercise. You alter your muscles, you reduce your fat, you can in increase the dopamine levels, which dopamine is just the feel-good chemical in your brain. It can lower your cortisol levels, which is the stress chemical in your brain. You know, some people say, I go exercise for stress relief. Well, there's really something to that because it actually affects the chemicals in your brain. So we know, we know that diet, it can have an effect on our body, what we eat, the things we take in. So is it so crazy to think the things we do as a mother can have a lasting impact on our children into adulthood and how they develop and even who they become. Now, this doesn't mean that every child that has a certain experience in their early childhood is just fated to a certain outcome, okay? I'm not saying that because they've even gone on to study and they believe that later experiences in life can, can, can also have an effect on a person's genes and that the repeated experience can actually amend or mitigate the experience. You know, there may be someone who suffered abuse as a child and it doesn't mean they're not always affected by that, but they may go through years of counseling and that helps them adapt as an adult and become a healthy adult. So it doesn't mean we're fated to that. But the point does stand that what happens to us as a child does stay with us through our lifetime. They say that for most people that our brains are fully developed by the age of 25. I know I said most, that's not true for all. Um, 
but let's hope that, you know, by the time we hit 25, most of us have matured. But listen to this. The new data also suggests this, and I I find this just absolutely amazing. Our experiences that we have can actually produce biological effects. I just showed you how, through the genes, the proteins that are built, all of that. And that those effects, if we affect change in the children, that when then they grow up and have children, that that biologically can be passed down to the next generation. So it's possible that the change that we affect in our children can have an impact on the future generations. What we do now matters down the road for the future. And that's for good or for bad. It can affect either way. And these experiences, they don't just begin at birth. By the time a baby is born, they've already had nine months of experience inside their mother's womb because we know their senses are developing. We know they tell us they can hear music, they can sense light, they can hear their mother's voice. And influential experiences, they're an important part of their development even before they come out of the mother's womb, but that nine months that they're right here. Now, I've said all that and built all that, and you're like, okay, so for me, what's the point? You're just kind of rambling. Because all this information I've just been relaying to you, it comes from a secular scientific community, okay? And it leaves out one big component that's important to us, and that's the God factor. That's the God factor. Because we're not just made up of flesh and blood, but a spirit that lives inside each and every one of us. Now, the scripture I read out of Psalms earlier states that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible even tells us that we're made in the image and likeness of God. God knew us before we were even formed. He knew what color our eyes would be, our hair, the shape of our chin. You think about the very first time your baby boy or your baby girl was placed in your arms. Think back to that moment, the first time that you looked upon their face. And you think about the love and the protective instinct that rose up inside of you at that moment. You think about the idea that the baby physically entering this world and being held in your arms actually changed your emotional state for life. Because love for a human that you may not have had before suddenly, boom, was there. And that protective instinct was there for that child that you held in your arms. And for us moms that went through birth and delivery, we endured some physical changes as well that may have a long-term effect too. Trust me, I know. Now, while a baby may be innocent in the sense that he or she has no understanding yet of right or wrong, the Bible also tells us as Romans, we are all born into sin. We're all sinners in need of a savior. So yes, a baby's born and may not have the understanding of right or wrong, but that baby still was born into sin and is gonna come to a point where they're gonna need to make a choice. They're going to have a longing in their heart for something more. Every single one of us, I like to call it our God spot. The hole in our heart that we've got to fill it with something. And if we don't fill it with God, we'll fill it with something. And our children are born with that longing. And if they don't fill it with God, they're going to fill it with something. Because we have a desire for something more. A purpose in life. Something or someone to revere or worship. And if we just leave that unchecked, unfettered, we just let it run wild... By nature, they will veer into a life of sin, into a life of hopelessness. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray, and as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Ezekiel 28.15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. So this brings us to the crux of the matter today. By nature, we sin. 
By nature, we are lost. By nature, we are born a sinner. By nature, we are drawn to sin. Nature is a strong force. All we got to do is drive around town after last night's storm and see how strong nature is. It's very strong. It determines many things in life. It can affect a person's personality. But what I'm standing to tell you today is nature doesn't have to have the final say, especially when you involve the creator. When you involve the creator, it changes everything. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Moms, we have a challenge. Now, I'm not just speaking to moms that have toddlers or middle-aged, moms of all ages, because as a mom, they're always our child. We never stop nurturing. We never stop trying to reach them. We never stop doing for them because they're our children. But we have a challenge. We have an uphill battle, especially in this generation, do we not? The day and age in which we live, we are surrounded by evil. We are surrounded by perversion and depravity. But in the midst of a world that will constantly expose our children to values that are opposite to God's, we must raise them in a God-fearing and nurturing home. And to help them with that, we must use the Bible. We've got to know the Word because that's what's going to give us the wisdom to help them, to teach them about the company they should keep, how to deal with a sinful world, how to interact with this world when they come in contact with things that are not taught at home. Psalms 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. John 17 Verses 15 and 17. This is Jesus praying for his disciples, but it can also apply to the parent-children role. He said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In this generation, we hear so many people, I don't know if I want to have kids. I don't know if I want to bring them into this evil world. This is such a terrible place. But it says, don't worry about taking them out of the world. Just keep them from the evil. Protect them. Teach them. Teach them the word. Teach them the scriptures. Show them the right way, and they'll be fine. We have to take the opportunity to influence our children for good. We've got to lead them and teach them in the ways of God. Because here's the one other factor we haven't mentioned yet. Beyond the God factor is free will. God gave us all a choice. And it gives our children a choice. And we've got to teach them so when their moment comes, they make the right choice. As our kids mature, they're going to grow. They're going to assert their independence. And when they're free to make their own choice, we pray to God that it's the right one. So in the meantime, we've got to teach them right from wrong, how to resist temptation, how to be saved, how to pray, how to live holy, all those things that are important. Because our children will never become holy without effort and discipline. It's not going to happen by accident. We can't take a back seat and say, well, I hope it happens. It's on us. We've got to teach our children the way. In nature, there is a law known as the law of disorder. Albert Einstein even called it the most basic law of science. Everything in our universe, when left to itself, tends to turn towards more and more disorder. For a mom, you know this is true when you walk into the toy room after your kid's been playing. There's a lot of disorder. A lot of disorder, and it happens every day. If you leave a garden, you've tilled it up, made nice, beautiful rows, and then you, you know what? I don't want to mess with it anymore. Before long, it's overcome by weeds. 
What was there is eaten by animals, trampled by the wild. It will end up a wild, thorny, full of weeds. There will be no more neat, nice garden because everything tends to go towards disorder. That's the law of nature. Same thing can be said of our children. If we leave our children to nature without boundaries, they're going to veer towards a life that's chaotic and out of order. Children, even without discipline and without borders, without rules, they tend to feel unloved. They really do because they get the idea that, well, my mom and dad don't even care what I do. They don't even care enough to give me a boundary. In Scripture, when that Scripture says, train up a child, train to instruct, initiate in the way he should choose or follow, in the beginning of his way, as soon as that child is able to receive instruction. And then it goes on to say, when he's old, he will not depart from it. And what that means is not easily or ordinarily. And if they stray from the path, that they, they will have still been instilled with the principles of God. And if they stray from the path, they have that awareness up here that the life I am leading is an error. The life I'm leading is opposed to God's law. The life I'm leading is not in the truth. You've instilled that knowledge in them. We have to nurture them towards God, a life of holiness. As a mom, you are so important. Do you realize the amount of influence and power that you have to influence your children? Let me just share with you just real quick a few brief episodes throughout the Bible of mothers and how they influence their children. We've all heard most of us the story of Moses. We remember him as the great deliverer. But when you go back to Moses when he was a child, he was a baby. There was a Pharaoh there that arose that knew not Joseph. He wasn't aware of all the things that Joseph had done. And he sought to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys because he feared the Israelites. He didn't like, he didn't want them getting more powerful or stronger. So he ordered that all of them be killed. Well, Moses' mother, Jochebed, she did not allow her son to be killed. In fact, she hid him away for three months until she could hide him no more. And then she built a basket and she filled it with pitch so it would be waterproof and she put Moses in the basket and set him in the river. And then she sent her daughter Miriam to watch over Moses in that basket. Well, it wasn't long before Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river with some of her handmaidens and saw the basket. When she opened it up, she saw Moses, and she recognized this as one of the Hebrew children. But at that moment when she saw that baby, she had compassion on him. She didn't take him to Pharaoh to be killed. Well, when Miriam saw that this woman was compassionate, she ran out and says, Oh, you found a baby. Do you want me to go find a mother to nurse this child? And yes, please do. Miriam went and got Moses' mother and said, here you go. I have a lady that will nurse this child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said, wonderful. If you'll nurse this child, I'll pay you. Moses' mom got paid to nurse her own child. Isn't that pretty awesome? What a job. <laughs> and in that day, it wasn't uncommon for mothers to nurse their children to about the age of six. So she had Moses for quite a long time in her home, feeding him, giving him nutrition, and I guarantee you that Moses' mom did what every other Jewish mother did. She was telling him scripture. She was telling him the story of their people. She was telling him the ways of God. And when Moses eventually was weaned and went to live in Pharaoh's temple, or not temple, pardon me, in Pharaoh's court, he grew up into adulthood and one day decided to go out and visit his brethren. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man. And anger overtook Moses, and he came to the defense of his brother, and he slew the Egyptian. Now, he had lived in Pharaoh's court the majority of his life, but he never forgot what he was taught at the knee of his mother. 
during all those years of her nursing him. And eventually, Moses grew up, and he was the one that came back and led all of the Israelites out of bondage through the Red Sea. He's the one that came and brought them out of bondage. If his mom hadn't taken the time to teach him and he went into Pharaoh's court, he wouldn't have had the knowledge in adulthood to take up for his brother. When our kids, we've got them at a young age, we've got to teach them now. At some point, they're going to be more in the world than they are with us. My kids spend more time in the school system than they spend at home with me. I've got to teach them at home so when they walk out into the world, they've got the knowledge to know how to interact with a sinful world. We can also observe a mother in the Bible who used her influence for not such a good purpose. We see a pretty dysfunctional family in the Bible. Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible tells us specifically that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Esau and Jacob are twins, but their parents played favorites. Daddy loved Esau and mommy loved Jacob. Well, as Isaac was approaching death, his eyes were dim. Rebekah concocted a plan because, see, Jacob had already stolen the birthright from his brother, but now she concocted a plan to help Jacob get the blessing, too. And so she went through, I won't go through the whole story, but she allowed him to go in and deceive uh, his father. She cooked the meat to trick him, to make him think it was from Esau, and he got the blessing. Esau come home, and he was distraught. He was ready to kill Jacob. So Rebecca's like, you got to go. You got to get away from here. Your brother, you, I'll call you when he's calmed down. You can come back. But do you know that rift in that family lasted for years? For years. Jacob was married and with children and, and much cattle and all that before he ever came home and was able to mend things with his brother. His mom instigated that. And because that was, you know, that was mama's boy, he went along with what mama wanted. And because of that, he was estranged from his brother for years because of what she chose to do. Then we look at Noah and his wife. They had three sons. They all grew up and got married. And over the course of several, several years, Noah was building an ark. And so many people mocked him. They made fun of him for following God's instruction. They could look around. They didn't see no physical sign of gloom and doom. They didn't see any signs of a flood coming. But, you know, Noah's out there. He's working. He's building that ark. He's readying it. I got to save my family. I got to do what God's asked me to do. I got to build this ark. And no doubt Noah's wife... She spent hours teaching her boys. Boys, this is what faith looks like. Boys, your dad's doing what God told him to do. Boys, don't doubt for a minute that we're not following God's instruction. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what our other relatives say. I don't care what everybody around us is saying. Your dad's following God. We're going to follow God in his instruction. All three of those boys grew up in married wives. I can only imagine if they made fun of Noah, those boys were made fun of too. And I can tell you the honest to God truth. You know what? When you live for God and you live righteously and you live holy, there may come a time that we're made fun of. I was made fun of as a kid. Sure was. Everybody, a lot of times in our growing up, you get made fun of for something. I was made fun of for the way I lived and the way I dressed. But you know what? Mommy that taught me, doesn't matter. You're going to be persecuted for his namesake. This is the way we're supposed to live. This is what God's word says. We got to do it. And so I held on. And I got through it. Now, many years later, I have school mates and things that made fun that they've messaged me, saw me at reunion, and they have great respect for me. And they're like, you have not changed. 
We need to teach that to our children. They've got to have that tenacity. Don't change because of what the world says. Don't change because of what they're putting there. You remember what the word says. You remember what God said. That's what's going to matter. So they kept being mocked. They kept being made fun of. They kept being say, oh, whatever. Look at your, your dad. He's just crazy. And they made fun of him. But let me tell you something. When it came down to the moment of truth, every single one of Noah's boys and their wives, every single one of them stepped foot on that ship. They got on that boat with their dad and with their mom, and they said, I believe what you taught me, mom. I believe what God said. Not one other person on earth, not one other person on the globe stepped foot on that boat except for Noah and his wife, their three sons and their wives. Because a mom made sure to tell them, boys, this is what matters. We've got to do what God says above all else. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what the world says. We've got to follow what God said. What an amazing testament to Noah's wife and the influence that she had on her boys. Or how about the widow in 1 Kings 17? She was a single parent. She was raising her son all alone. Had little to no money, little to no food or even anything left. In fact, she was at the point of fixing the very last meal. She had a little flour, a little oil, and she said, I'm going to make this meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die because we have no food left. We have no money. We have no income. We're going to die. So, son, here it is. I'm getting ready to bake this. This is for me and you. And after this, I'm sorry, son, but we don't have anything left. And along comes the man of God, Elijah. And he says, can you please give me something to drink? Okay. And says, oh, and can you make me something to eat? And she says, man of God, all I got left is a little flour and a little oil. And after I cook this, me and my son's going to die because that's all I got left. He says, I understand what you're saying. He said, you go and make me a little biscuit first, and whatever you have left over, then you make that for you and your son. Now, I want to ask you, as a mom, standing in that position, and you've got this little tiny bit of money left, just enough to feed you and your child a last meal, and a man comes along and says, well, give me some of that, and then you can take what's left for you and your child. I know many of you are like, uh-uh, mama bear's raising up. You ain't getting taken out out of my boy's mouth. That's for my boy. But she recognized him to be a man of God. And he said, if you will give this to me first, your flour and oil will not run out. As long as this drought and as long as this famine is in existence, you will be cared for. She believed the word of God through the man of God. And she made him some food first. And from that day forward, as long as the famine was in existence, she never ran out of flour. She never ran out of, a single mom, had no husband, had nobody to provide income, and yet she modeled faith to her son. She modeled what walking by faith means. When you don't see the money coming in, when you don't see how the next meal is going to be on the table, but she says, I'm going to obey what God's told me. He said to give, I'm going to give. And God honored her faithfulness. And her son saw that when you give to God and that when you honor faithfulness, that God will always honor you. She taught her son that lesson in that day. Then we look at Timothy. He had a mother named Eunice and a grandmother named Lois. And 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us that his faith, the faith of Timothy, came to him through these two godly women. And he had his moment of conversion at the moment that Apostle Paul came through and he preached. But his mother and his grandmother readied his heart for that moment by teaching him all these years. Now, the Bible tells us that Timothy's mother was a Jew and a believer. But the Bible says that Timothy's father was a Greek and he was not a believer. So you had a believer and an unbeliever married. You had a godly woman and an ungodly husband that didn't agree. But the Bible says Timothy's faith came to him through his mother and through his grandmother. 
She's like, you know what? And, and, and we don't know. We don't know how Eunice ended up married to a Greek. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe she had a moment of rebellion because she knew growing up that Jews didn't marry outside their faith. They stayed inside their faith. But somehow she ended up with an ungodly man, but came back to God later in life because then she began to teach her son, son, don't make the mistakes I did. Son, you got to know the ways of God. Son, here's the truth. And he was converted. And it came to the point that the Apostle Paul even called Timothy my son in the gospel. Timothy was such a help to him. He grew so close to the man of God. And I'm sure that for Timothy, growing close to the man of God was in somewhat in lieu of having a godly father figure at home. So the mother encouraged him in the house of God. She acknowledged her mistakes, but she encouraged Timothy. Timothy, sell out for God. Don't compromise. Don't do like I did. And do you know that Timothy was a great man of God and that he eventually even became a pastor, the Bible tells us, for a church in Ephesus. He became a pastor, even coming out of a dysfunctional home like that. Moms, you have power. You have influence. You might be single and raising your child alone. You might be married to an unbeliever. You might have different situations. You might have a husband that plays favorites with one of your kids. You know what? You can still have an influence on your child and help them grow to the things of God. Because the moral of all these stories I just shared is this. Your influence is powerful. You are the guardian in your home of future generations. Mothering is probably one of the most significant things that most of us will ever do, and your impact can last for generations. Because kids, they're so trusting. They're innocent. They're young. And the home that they're in, they look at you as their parent, and they're going to believe anything you tell them because you're mom, because you're dad. They trust us simply because we're their parents. So we can't take advantage of that trust, and we can't let that opportunity slip. We've got to nurture our children towards God. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul understands that nature and nurture both contributed to the growth of the Corinthian believers. Paul preached to them. Apollos came and followed up. But notice, even though Paul and Apollos, let me call them the nurturers, okay? They're the nurturers. They told the Corinthian believers about God. They led them to salvation. But the scripture and the story doesn't end there. Because Paul points to an internal influence when he says that God gave the increase. Because only God can transform the inside of a man. Only God can change the heart. Only God can forgive sin and fill us with the Holy Ghost. But God chooses to use us moms as a human vessel, as the nurturer, to lead them to Christ. Our children are such an important responsibility we're responsible for their spiritual growth. Now, are we responsible to their, for their salvation in the end? No, because they have a choice to make. But it's our job to lead them to Christ. And this is where nurture has an edge over nature. So if we took those scales up there, we would tip them just a little bit. Because if we lead our kids to the creator, listen to me right here, this is so important. If we lead our kids to the creator by nurturing them, we're leading them to the one who has the power to change their nature to the one that can change their very makeup on the inside. It can change their nature. We can't change their nature, but the creator that created all of us, he can. So as nurturers, we gotta lead them to him because he can do what we can't. If we lead them to God, he's got the power to sanctify. He can redeem, he can heal, he can renew, forgive, mold them, shape them, change them. If we do our part, then we can trust God to do the rest. 
when God changes their heart and fills them with his spirit, then you're going to start to see the fruit of the spirit in their life. And then they're going to continue and say, wow, this is amazing. And then what we want most as our kids is to seek to be in God's perfect will. God, what's your will for my life? I thought about the story this morning as I was getting ready in Mark 2. kind of came to me. You know, the man with the palsy, and he was in his bed. And there was a crowd around Jesus, and they couldn't get to him. So his friends went up on the roof, and they began to rip the thatch off theirs, and they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, I, I forgive your sins. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And the scribes that were there were like, well, who does he think he is? Only God has the power to forgive sins. And Jesus basically looked back at him and like, well, just so you know, I got the power to do both. Either one's just as easy. Rise up and take up thy bed and walk. And he healed him. And he healed them so that they could see. Because the change that took place in his heart, they couldn't see. But he wanted them to know, you know what? I'm God, and I can not only heal, but I can also change their heart. And, you know, I thought about his moms when our kids get sick, man, we get a hold of the pastor. We get a hold of Bishop. You know, I, Papa, come pray for the kids. They're sick. They got a fever. Anoint him with oil. Call the prayer band. Put him on prayer band. My kid's sick. He's, you know, had this happen or uh, he's, he's just really ill. He's got a fever. And I thought we get so compassionate and passionate about praying for our kids when they get sick. And I thought, my God, what if we got the same passion? My kid's lost. He needs God. My kid needs Jesus. He needs the Holy Ghost. If we got that passionate about our children having salvation and serving the one true God as we do when they have a need in their body, when they are in the hospital, when they've gone to the ER, when they're sick in their bed, we need that same passion to say, my kid needs God. They need salvation because we hate to see them suffer when they're in sickness. But my God, if we don't get a hold of their hearts and that they serve God there's going to be a lot of suffering way down the road that we don't want for them you are so powerful mothers you are so powerful your influence can determine the course of your child's life and not only that but everyone that your child comes in contact with listen to this scripture in Romans 5 19 for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous now we understand the history of that verse meaning adam and eve sinned and now all of us are born into sin and by christ going to the cross that he he redeemed us from that sin okay the obedience and the disobedience of one but think about this our obedience to god in training up a child what type of influence will that have for that one through your teaching and your influence, what if your child grows up and says, God, I'm answering your call to be a missionary? And by his obedience, through your obedience, they go and many souls are saved over in a foreign country because of your influence. Now, I do understand that God's not going to leave those people without a preacher, without salvation. If it's not our child, God will send somebody. But what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? But if they do answer that call because we nurtured them in the things of God, how many could be saved through their ministry? We've got to have our priorities right. What if because of our lack of priorities, they miss their calling? What if we teach our children, it's more important to invest more time in, in anything you can imagine in this world. doesn't matter what it is, sports, gymnastics, anything. You know, we've got to spend hours. You've got to, you know, hone your talent. You can get a scholarship to college. And, and not that those things are bad, but if we focus so much on that and we leave out the priority of God being number one, we've done them a great disservice, a great disservice. Because more important than anything is God's will for their life and their salvation. Romans eleven twenty nine tells us, For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. When God places gifts in our children's life, he places a calling on their life. It's our job to help our kids find their gifts and find their calling. We do this in the same way we teach them everything else in life. 
We teach our kids how to feed themselves, how to dress themselves, how to tie their shoe, how to brush their teeth. Nope, you didn't brush your teeth long enough. You go back in there. You need to do it for at least a minute, two minutes. You, you can come out brushing your teeth when I tell you. We teach them common everyday things that are so simple, and we think this is a necessity. You know, we want them to have good hygiene. You know, you got to take a shower. You, gotta, you know, we teach them all these basic things that are so important. And when they become an adult, we hope that they're independent and that they can dress themselves, that they can brush their own teeth, that they can fix their hair, that they can match their clothes. But you know what? And they say, it's just as easy, parents, to teach them how to pray, how to fast, how to be faithful to church, how to be baptized, how to be saved, how to worship, how to pay our tithes, how to be honest, how to show compassion, how to seek out God's perfect will, and how to walk by faith. You say, well, how do I teach them all, the, all these things? The same way you showed them how to tie their shoe. You tied your shoe and walked them through how to tie theirs. You showed them how you brushed your teeth so that they would know how to brush theirs. You show them how to pay your tithes. You show them how to be faithful to church. You show them how to live early. You come to church and raise your hands and you show them how to worship. We do it by example. That's how they learn. And they're going to get it. Moms, they're going to get it. They're going to learn. We teach them to let the spirit have control. We teach them whatever you feed in your life has the power. You feed the flesh, it's in control. You feed the spirit, it'll be in control. Recently in our home, we had turned on the TV and we were going through the list trying to find something to watch. And you know how when you're looking through the list of what to watch, you have the little small screen in the corner that shows you whatever channel you are on? Well, there was a commercial that came up in that small channel. It was actually a Victoria's Secret commercial. And my children were in there. And Trevor glanced up and he goes, oh no. And he walked up and he plastered his hand across the TV right there and he's like, we can't see that. And I looked at him, he's seven years old. And he knew those women were dressed inappropriately and that he didn't need to see that. And I thought, I never just sat down and said, you should never look at a woman dressed like that. But we've been modeling Christianity. We've been modeling modesty. He knew what was important. He knew what you should see and what you shouldn't see. This last month when we had prayer, we have prayer every month at the church, third Thursday of every month, prayer power hour for an hour, 7.30 to 8.30. And you know what? We bring our kids to prayer power hour when it's time for prayer. We came in here and we usually tell our kids, we come up to the front bench and we say, okay, we're going to pray. You got to pray. Now when you get done praying, you can go up to the nursery and play for a little bit, but you got to pray first. Normally, both the kids, they'll pray for a little bit, and then they'll trot upstairs. And that's what Trevor did. He's seven. He prayed for a little bit, and he went upstairs. But I was over here praying, and I started hearing weeping, true weeping and crying. And I looked over, and my daughter was just travailing in the spirit for probably half an hour before God. And I thought, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that my daughter is learning what's important because I don't know what God dealt with her in her heart. She didn't come and tell me about it, and I didn't ask. But all that mattered was that she was having a time with God right there on that front row on a Thursday night at church. They're going to get it, parents. Sometimes you may look and see, I don't know if it's getting through, but it is. It really is. I want to share a story with you, Brother Mason. You can come to the music. Y'all can stand with me this morning. And I want you to listen to this story. Back in World War II, during the time of the Holocaust, many Jewish people were being rounded up and put on the trains and being taken to the concentration camps. And as we all know, looking back in history, many, many, many millions of Jews lost their lives. And there was a lot of fear at that time. And these Jewish parents, these Jewish mothers, 
They wanted their children to be protected. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. So they took their children and they put them in Christian orphanages. They put them in Catholic orphanages. And they said, please care for my children. Please care for my babies. Maybe when this is all over, we can come back and get our children. But take care of my children. And the parents, crying and weeping, would leave their child and just pray, God of heaven, watch over my child. And many of them fled the country, but a lot of them were rounded up, sent to the concentration camps and to the gas chambers, and they didn't make it out alive. So there were many Jewish orphans as a result. Well, there was the Jewish priests of that time, and they went and started going to these orphanages, and they began to approach these Catholic priests. And they said, we'd like to go into your orphanage. We'd like to look for the Jewish babies and the Jewish children that were left. And the Catholic priest and the Christian priest, they looked back at him and they said, there's no Jewish children in our orphanages. And the Jewish priest said, okay. He said, well, I have a favor to ask you. Could I come back to your orphanage at bedtime and just walk through where the children are? The priest kind of didn't understand the request and kind of reluctantly said, okay, sure. At night, as the children were being readied for bed, they were all tucked in their beds, the Jewish priest started walking up and down the aisles between the beds and the orphanage. And he started saying this in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. Being interpreted, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And suddenly in the darkness, the priests begin to hear cries from these Jewish children. Mama, is that you, Mom? Because when a Jewish baby is born, the first words they hear at the moment of their delivery is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Yisrael Adonai. Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. And when they begin to hear the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, their mind immediately went to their mother. Mom, is that you? Is that you, Mom? And the people at that orphanage had to admit, yes, there are some Jewish children in our midst. They associated hearing the word of God with their mothers. When they heard scripture spoken, is that my mom? Is that my mom? We've got to take a moment to teach our children the word. Because moms, there may come a day when we're not right by their side. When we're not right there to kiss the wound or wrap our arms around them. But if we have instilled in them the word of God, you know where they're going to go for comfort? The word. You know where they're going to go for comfort? God. Because they associate that with mama. Mama taught me that. Mama put that in my heart. Because they're going to have times of darkness in their life. We don't want it, but it's going to happen. They're going to face trials. They're going to face hardships. They're going to face times when things are going wrong in their life. But we can nurture them at this moment. And you say, but my child's grown. They're not young. It doesn't matter, Mama. It can still have an influence. You can still affect change in your child's life. doesn't matter what age they are because no one takes the place of Mama. People do things for their moms they wouldn't do for anyone else because Mama's important. Moms, doesn't matter what age your child is. 
you can still affect them. Grandmothers, just like Lois and Eunice, you can affect your grandchildren. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep instilling the word. Keep reaching for them. Keep trying to lead them to Jesus because he's the one that can change their nature. He's the one that can turn their life around. We look and we want to fix things for our kids. We want to fix their broken marriages. We want to fix their broken lives. We want to heal and bandage up their wounds. But you know what? There's only so much we can do. But if we teach and train them right, we can send them to the one that can change it all, to the one that can change their nature, to the one that can change their heart. If you close your eyes and hear this morning, we need to talk to God and say, God, help me to lead my children to you. God, help me, Lord, to nurture my child in spiritual things. God, help me to model godliness. Lord, help me to model truth. Oh, God, help me to be like you so that my children want to serve you. Oh, can you raise your hands right now and take a moment to talk to God? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.